Uh, if you are visiting with us this morning, we want to let you know that we're in a special series called Unstoppable Power. We're uh, studying through the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bible this morning, open it up and turn to, uh, to the book of Acts chapter 15. Um, you know, many months ago, Keith and I were, were, were laying out the lessons for this series. And uh, as we came through the, the, the book of, uh, I mean, the chapter of uh, 15, I had this strange suspicion that I was going to end up with the lesson this morning. You see, last week he had 35 powerful verses about the challenge of change within the early church and the opportunities for growth there. Um, I get five verses between friends of about a spat that two men had. And, um, well, I'll be honest with you, I was wrestling a lot with what exactly I'm supposed to do with these five little verses. What do you do about an argument, a disagreement between friends? Well, I spent a lot of time praying this week, and, and I think God revealed some very powerful lessons, even in just five little verses. So Acts chapter 15, verse 36, open your Bibles up, uh, and let's begin this morning with Paul and Barnabas. Let me give you a definition of conflict. To come into collision or disagreement be contradictory at variance in opposition to clash. The word disagreement. A failure or refusal to agree, a disparity, an inconsistency, a difference of opinion. We all experience conflict. We all experience moments between our spouse, our friend, our neighbor, our coworker. Conflict is a reality, and it's alive and well in our culture, in our society, in our world, and it's been around since the beginning of time. But this morning, we're going to take a, take a look at just one little snapshot, one little moment in the story of God and two particular men. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Barnabas, let's go back and let's visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord, and let's see how those people are doing. Let's check on the new believers. Okay, stop there. Remember, I've only got five verses, so we got to work through this thing, okay? Be patient with me. <laughs> There's one thing I want to share this morning in regard to that particular verse. Outside of Jesus Christ, I think Paul was one of the most powerful, most influential evangelists the world has ever known. I mean, Paul was a man committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone, with anyone who would listen, and constantly put himself and his own well-being in great harm and danger because he had a love. Paul and Barnabas both did. They had a love for sharing the gospel with people who didn't know Jesus Christ, had never seen him, had never heard of him. But this scripture also shows us that he had a great regard for those who were believers. He had a great love to care for those who had come to know Jesus, who had offered commitment and faithfulness and belief of who he was. I think one of the things that we need to learn from Paul and Barnabas, but specifically Paul, was his love for balance. I think Paul recognized the significance to love those who didn't know Jesus Christ, 
just as much as he did those who did. And I think he tried to, to communicate that message in the churches in the, in the first century, in the early churches. I think he tried to help them understand the importance of that balance as well. My question to us is, do we, do we get that balance? I think there's a lot of churches out there who do, who do amazing things in regard to evangelism. I mean, there are churches in this country and in this world who have sold out for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody they come in contact with. Everything they do, every thought they have, every activity, every moment of their function within the body is about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who don't know him. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And then I think there's some challenges that go along with that too. Because as people come to know him, and begin wanting to grow within him. When they're ready to take meat. And there only seems to be glasses of milk everywhere. They struggle. On the other hand, there's wonderful churches out there. Beautiful churches out there who are committed to growing and developing within people. A depth and understanding of God. And a, and, and a, and a deep passionate, intimate relationship through Jesus Christ. Challenging them to know themselves and thus know God better, to know God and thus themselves better, to be constantly reading and learning and having conversations with those closest to them, trying to understand as much as they can with their noses often buried in books after books after books. Wrestling with, with, with deep, deep, intellectual thoughts and concerns of God. And they forget. I think they can forget sometimes what it's like to be new at this whole faith thing. Not able to swallow a big piece of meat, but just looking for a little sip of milk as an infant. Just learning to walk and talk as a new follower of Jesus. You see, I think if you, you get too far one way or the other, I think you're, you're leaving out a very important part of the body. I think this one verse reminds us of the importance of, of both. And the challenge this morning I want to, to leave you with right now is how are we doing at both? Can you honestly say that you care for the people that do not know Jesus Christ, that do not have a real relationship with him, do not have a real understanding of a community of faith, do not have a real concept of God in their life? Do you care for those people as much as you do for the ones sitting in this room right here? The ones that talk like you, that act like you, that for the most part live their life like you. Paul took the example of Jesus Christ and valued the significance of both equally. Loved all the same. Had a desire to care for all the same. I 
I hope each and every one of us will wrestle a little bit with the idea of balance within what we value and who we value, just like Paul did. On to verse 37. Barnabas agreed. He said, yeah, Paul, let's do that. Let's go back and let's check on those people. Let's see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Remember back to Acts 13 a few weeks ago. John Mark was working with Paul and with Barnabas traveling around, and he just bailed out on them. He just took off without much of a word, not a real indication as to why or what he was doing. He simply was done. There's a number of thoughts behind biblical scholars believing why he might have bailed out. Maybe he was tired of the journey. Maybe he was unsure of himself. Maybe he didn't feel confident and comfortable with, uh, with Paul. But whatever it was, there was a number of reasons potentially. But he left. He simply checked out of the work that Paul and Barnabas were invested in. And this bothered Paul greatly. He was, gra- he was greatly struggling with this idea of this young man who just checked out and bailed out on the work that they were doing. And Paul was having a hard time forgetting that. You see, Paul and Barnabas were two very, very strong personalities. I mean, these were men who were not afraid to express themselves in very outward ways. If you remember back to, uh, to Acts 14, when Paul and Barnabas uh, were working with the people and, and Paul had healed a man, a lame man, and the people were so in awe of what, what they had done, they began praising them and they began referring to them as gods, celebrating their existence and who they were and what they had done. And this was bothering Paul and Barnabas tremendously. In verse uh, 14 of Acts 14, it says this, But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothes off, a sign of, in the Jewish faith of total, complete anguish. They tore their clothes off in dismay, it says, and they ran out to the people shouting, what are you doing? Stop. Stop praising us like we're gods. We're not gods. Ripping their clothes off in the process. Okay, these were not, these were not passive, shy, meek, mild-mannered men. It's safe to say they were passionate They were extremely emotional, maybe even volatile personalities. And they were on a mission. They were fully invested in what they were doing. They were 100% completely bought in to why they were doing it. And there was no question in their mind as to who they were doing it for. But here comes the problem. And it's the same problem that I think so many of us wrestle with when it comes to conflict. It's the how. How we go about. People, situations, and circumstances. Conflict often comes in the how. So often with us, it's not, it's not the what. And it's really not the why. It's the how. 
How are we going to go do this? Especially when it comes to change. Because in most cases, there's a very common understanding as to what needs to change. And there's often not much disagreement about why we need to change. But the challenge is, how do we go about changing? Whatever change is, change within your church, change within your marriage, change within your job, change within your life, change within your missionary journey, whatever the change may be, it's not the what, it's not the why, it's the how, because how is scary, because how is personal. In sports, coaches and athletes all agree on that idea of winning. But there can often be tremendous disagreement and conflict in the implementation of that game plan. In politics, often Democrats and Republicans agree on what the problems are. But how we go about fixing them is a whole other story. In companies, the goal of all the employees, from the executive management all the way down, the goal of that company is pretty understood. But how you go about achieving that goal can create conflict. And even within our families. Within my family, as Kristen and Blake and Chandler and I sit around the dinner table, we can agree on the fact that we are, in fact, all related with one another. And beyond that, sometimes we don't agree on anything. I'm just kidding, sort of. Um, You know, it's unfortunate that, that there had to be such a confrontation between two men of God, two great men of God. But from the beginning of time, we've had moments like this. From the moment in the garden, Moses, Jesus, the disciples, even Paul, we'd have moments of conflict and confrontation. Conflict is a reality of being a human being, and it's actually a very important part of God's plan if you'll see it the way God sees it. You see, salvation on the cross would have never happened had there not been conflict of opposition. The establishment of the church of Jesus Christ would never have existed had there not been conflicts within the religious scene at that time. I'm not saying God wants conflict as much as I'm saying God uses conflict to do amazing things. And he's been doing it throughout the story that he's been telling for thousands and thousands of years through his people within his world. 
God uses conflict to do great things. It is because of conflict that God creates. And it is through conflict that God changes. Let that sink in a minute. It is because of conflict that God creates. And it is through conflict that God changes. As I look around this room this morning, I see faces of people who have experienced conflict within the church. And it was tough. Some of you at other places, some of you here at this place. Some of you, I know your stories, and I know that you've experienced challenging conflict within your marriage. Some at this very moment, as you sit here in this room next to your spouse. Some of you spend Monday through, fi- uh, through uh, Friday dealing with immense amounts of conflict and disagreement and struggle as you go and work. It's taking its toll on you. For some of you, it's with your grown children, your aging parents, the uncertainty of future. Conflict is alive and well, and it is not something that we need to run from, church. It's something we need to recognize as a reality of living in a fallen world. And the challenge that I want us to see this morning is that God can work through it. That God can do amazing things through the conflict in your life. You know, the first moment of conflict in the history of mankind that we know about happened because of a a disagreement and a lack of respect underneath a big tree between a man and a woman. And from that moment on, conflict has been alive and well. And this story is no different. You see, honestly, if we break it down pretty simply, it was, a, it was a selfish Uncle Barnabas who wanted to bring his kid nephew along on a journey with him and his buddy, Paul. And he really didn't have much regard for Paul's feelings. He didn't have a whole lot of awareness or respect for the situation or circumstances. In fact, the the original text describes Paul's anger as a fit of passionate rage, okay? This was not just some sort of frustrating hiccup in the road in the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. Paul was ticked off. Paul was extremely frustrated at Barnabas, extremely angry at the situation, and in total disbelief that Barnabas would do something like this to him. And I guarantee you, church, he told them about it. If he's willing to rip off his clothes and go yelling and screaming at a mob of people trying to do something, I have a feeling he'll get in your face if he needs to. And Barnabas was more than happy to respond as well. This was a real conflict between two extremely significant men of God. 
Paul looked at John Mark as a coward, as a forfeiter, as a quitter, a man who had damaged his reputation and could have been detrimental to the work that they were trying to do. That's how passionately Paul felt about what John Mark had done in Perga. In fact, I wonder if he didn't even think about the words of King Solomon that we read back in Proverbs 25. It says, like a bad tooth or a lame foot, so is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. You know, I think the cynical side of Paul was thinking, fool me twice. Uh, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I think Paul was pretty serious about the fact that this was not a good decision, that John Mark did not need to come along. Verse 39, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas. The issue of this disagreement was bad. The contention was so sharp that they departed from one another. Barnabas was not going unless Paul took John Mark with them, and Paul was not going if John Mark was coming. End of discussion. It wasn't a pretty sight. Two great leaders within the early church, two great evangelists for the word of God as it, as it was spread throughout the land. And they were honestly going to separate. They were honestly going to have a spat about this, this kid. Really? Yeah. They really did. And you know what? I love it. I love that it happened. And the reason why I love that it happened is because it's a beautiful opportunity for us to be able to understand more clearly the fact that they are just like you and I. There's no difference in Paul and Barnabas than you and I. Who they are and what they were doing, there's no real significant difference in who they are and what they were trying to do and what we're trying to do today. They were men full of the Spirit. But they were susceptible to the feelings and to the emotions and to the passions and beliefs within themselves, just like you and I are. In Acts 14, the continuation of that moment when Paul and Barnabas were responding to the people with such frustration and anguish at their praise of them, they said, stop, we're just like you. In verse 15, it said, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings. It's so important that we don't lose sight of the simple fact that these two extremely significant, special, chosen workers in the kingdom of God, that God had handpicked to do great things in the spreading of the news of his son, salvation through Jesus Christ, the faith of Christianity, the future of the world. These men had been handpicked, and here's the reality of it. They aren't supernatural. 
They aren't above human standards. They aren't perfect by any means. They're just like you and I. Filled with the Holy Spirit that God has placed within them to do great things in the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit was given for the purpose of spreading the true word, not in making them supernatural. Here's the thing for us. The Spirit working through us does not remove the humanity from within us. The Spirit working through us does not remove the humanity from within us. The expectations of perfection within the world. That we're supposed to be above human standards. We're supposed to be somehow supernatural or better than everybody else because we're followers of Jesus Christ. Constant, constant a barrage of uh, hypocrisy is thrown at the church today. In some regard, there is foundations for that. But in many regards, it is because I believe we struggle to understand the fact that God can work through us and do great things through us. But we are still human beings in a fallen world, susceptible to feelings and emotions and frustrations and beliefs that will create disagreement and conflict with one another and with others. And that's okay. I don't know who you want to blame in this situation. I mean, obviously, at first look, it seems like Barnabas is the one that should be at most fault because, you know, he's the one who wanted to bring John Mark along. I mean, he's the one who kind of shoved it out there and started the whole thing. He's the one who seemed to have a very selfish attitude and was focused more on what he wanted and what was best for him and his nephew than it was for the mission and what they've been called to do. But then at the same time, you know, Paul was the one who exploded. Paul was the one of all people who seemed to have a struggle all of a sudden with giving someone a second chance. Paul seemed to be more than willing to let the separation just happen. Here's the reality. As it is in most cases, conflict is never just one person. It takes two to tango. In any situation, in any circumstance in which there is conflict, both individuals, both parties have some sense, some level of responsibility. And it's a lesson that Paul and Barnabas remind us of. Because I think that's what allowed them to ultimately move forward in a very healthy way and allowed the relationship to be healed was because they understood at some point that they both had a part in that. These men cared greatly about the calling that God had laid before them, the mission that he had called them to, the work that he had placed before them. And their desire to do that to the best of their ability, their passion and their love for it, their willingness to do whatever it took to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and care for this entity, the church that Jesus had left here, was so ingrained in them that they were willing to fight for it. Church, I'm going to be honest with you. I want that. 
I want to love people that don't know Jesus Christ so much. I want to have such a passion for a world that doesn't know him, it lives in darkness. I want to love the people that make up the body of Christ within its church here on this earth so much that I'm willing to get in disagreement with people, that I'm willing to have conflict, that I'm willing to engage in really tough conversations, not because I'm trying to be stubborn or not because I'm trying to be selfish, but because I have a love for what God is doing. And my part in that, that's what I want. And that's what I want you to want. That's what I want all of us to want. I don't want us to come into this place and feel like this is a place of perfection. And then we have to act a certain way and talk a certain way and be a certain way and do a certain way because we're Christians. I want us to understand that conflict is a reality. We're not going to always agree with one another. But here's the thing. Paul and Barnabas, they parted ways, but they never parted purpose. They parted ways, but they never for a moment parted with the purpose of what God had called them to do. Do you understand your purpose? Do we understand our purpose? So that when conversations like this happen, in moments with one another and moments with others take place, that we will understand our purpose above all else. I think that's what Paul and Barnabas exemplified for us in this little snapshot. Verse 40, Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Here's the bottom line. These two men ended up going their separate ways, but God continued to do great things. He doubled his work. Instead of there being one, there was two. Instead of 20, there was 40. Instead of 100, there was 200 that were hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Churches were multiplying. God took a conflict between two men, and he doubled the amount of work that was being done in his name for his glory in the kingdom of God. That's how God works through conflict within our human, selfish ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul mentions Barnabas as continuing to do the same work that he was doing and, and, and praise the good work that he was doing. You see, they were fine. Their relationship was okay. They didn't agree, but they understood their purpose. And their purpose was far greater and far bigger and far more substantial than their personal feelings. They parted ways, but never purpose. I've got six things I want to share with you as we close. Six lessons that I think we can learn from Paul and Barnabas. The first is this. Every time a decision is made, conflict will follow. No questions asked. No doubt about it. When a decision is made, conflict will happen. Be prepared for that. 
no matter what facet of your life, every single one of these things will affect marriage, job, personal life, church, neighborhood. Any encounter you have with other human beings, these six principles are in play here. The first, when a decision is made, conflict will follow. The second, conflict occurs one of two reasons. A miscommunicated expectation or an unrealistic expectation. Okay, when you're thinking about engaging people with conflict, with disagreement, understand that that happened because either there was miscommunicated or unrealistic expectations within that situation. Paul and Barnabas showed that. Number three, conflict occurs when our value and security as human beings is threatened. When our personal value and security and who we are and who we truly are and what we're really about when that's, when that's threatened. Conflict will happen. Here's another thought. Conflict will never prevail when there is an understanding of true purpose. Okay? Conflict will never overcome true understanding and true purpose. It will not win out. It won't triumph. That's how powerful understanding of one's purpose truly is. Number five, God's going to do great things through our conflict. He would love for us to remove our selfish desires and our selfish ways, but here's the reality of it. God's going to work even through that within a conflicted situation. And he's going to do great things. And the final thing, your worth is not in being right, but rather in being his. Who you truly are within any situation in your life. The unhealthy marriage that you're in, the ungodly relationships that you're having at work, the disgruntled nature within your family system, the personal challenges that you're facing within your own life. Your worth is found not in trying to be right about something, but rather in being his. The bottom line, it's not about us. It's about him. And you've heard me say this, and I'm going to keep saying it till somebody hears me. It's not about us. It's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about him and everything we do. And Paul and Barnabas exemplified that for us amidst their conflict. It's about him. As we, uh, as we close this morning... There's some cards in the, in the uh, chair backs in front of you. I want you to grab one. Grab a card. <clears throat> grab a pen out of your, uh, your purse or your bag, whatever. There's a few pens scattered around in the, uh, in the pew backs as well. Share them if you need to. On this card, I want you to write one word. One word that defines a conflict within your life right now. Not two, not three, not five. I don't want you to write a paragraph. I want you to write one word. One word that sums up 
the conflict that you're challenged with, that you're in the midst of, that you're dealing with right now. For some of you, it may have, been, it may have started a year ago and it's still very prevalent in your life today. For others, it may have happened last week, last night, this morning. But I want you right now, I want you to take a minute and I want you to write a word down that sums up some conflicted situation within you. One word that sums it up. And once you write that word down, I want you to fold the card in half. And just hold it in your hand. God's going to do great things through these words and through these situations and through these circumstances that you're writing on that paper. In many regards, it's because we're going to allow God to do it, but in some situations, God's going to do it, whether we, uh, whether we allow it or not. That's the power of the Spirit working through us. I want you to take those. I want you to hold that card in your hand for just a minute. We're going to close. They parted ways and not purpose. They had an understanding of what they had been called to do. And they felt so passionately about it, they were willing to to disagree about it. I pray that we have that kind of passion for this church and for the kingdom out there that he's called us to engage. People, places, circumstances. Let's close. Father God, thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for being so mighty. To take the mistakes, the selfishness, the uncertainty, the disrespect that we exhibit in our lives every day within relationships and within situations and circumstances and do great things through us. Father, we give these things to you. And I pray that we will fully, completely give these words that are written on these cards to you. But God, not just in hoping that you will just make it magically go away, but that we'll have the opportunity to see you work through our conflict, through our uncertainty, through our frustration, through our anxiety, and do great things. God, I pray that we will be a people that trust you. That we'll be a church that, that grabs a hold of our purpose in your kingdom. And that we'll be people that will have passion and desire and love for what you've called us to. Even to the point of disagreement and conflict with one another and others. Well, thank you for Paul and Barnabas. Thank you for their story. Thank you for this moment 
as quick and simple as it seems to be, there is great significance to us in our life today, and I pray that we see that significance. Father, work through the conflict within our life. May the Spirit continue to do great things through us, even in spite of us. Father, thank you for being a God who walks with us, who loves us and cares for us, and does amazing things through us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.